It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. It's Patreon, baby. We don't have to introduce this show because you guys pay for it. In fact, you guys are the only reason we're able to do it. They know us. They know it. They know that voice behind the ones and twos. Who could it be? The star of Clerks 3. (laughs) (laughs) Not a star. Not a star. Not a star. He says, but no, very, very excited. You guys who listen to the show all the time, you know the deal. Kahuna was on set. That's why we had a little bit of chaos here last week. But um, I'm excited about it, buddy. I want to talk more about it on the episode that everybody gets to hear. Absolutely. Because when it's Patreon only, all right, we're playing for the home crowd, Dad. It's what right. do you want to They'll say already to already have heard it. Few. It's true. The home crowd. Welcome to the home crowd. You guys are awesome. And uh, I think we got something here that you might have a vague remembrance of. But uh, we're, we're going to kick it a little bit. Well, uh, we announced this over on the Patreon. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to announce this on the other episode as well here. But... Um, today is Sunday, and let me tell you, the Bellworks has everything going on. You want the Jewish Beach Boys, we got them, okay? <laughs> right. You want a ballet recital going on? You want a drill that shakes the recording equipment on the table? We've got all that. Do you want a Spanish-speaking bilingual church, Pentecostals going crazy in the background here, baptizing a child in a tub of horchata? We've got it. <laughs> we have a little bit of everything here. <laughs> um, I love the Bellworks. It's wild. It's super fun. It's a microcosm of New York City. There's Everything is here. Everything. So I love that. I love Jersey. And it works as a location. Literally the day you guys came was such a fucking weird one because that <laughs> never happens. <laughs> Ever. It's never that noisy here. It's always so quiet. It is. The Kahuna almost had to bring us down to an underground bunker to record bunker, this one. That's right. But we're here, baby. We got a damn good one for you. As advertised on the Patreon, we're going to be talking about a nice little Greek boy. A Greek boy who he's does a very good for himself. All right, he's very very good. So, um, but he's an interesting guy here because we get to have the zeitgeist where, um, Dad, you lived through this guy. Uh, yeah, I was here. I was around. What I was it, around. Was what kicking. are the liner notes on this guy for upfront for you? Upfront liner notes. Yeah, you uh, hear this guy's name. What's the image that's conjured up for you? Because you're getting your your info on him came from firsthand experience. Well, yeah. But uh, again, I was looking to uh, stay out of Vietnam at the time. And uh, this guy was uh, in the forefront of promising to reduce the uh, the troop levels. But uh, interesting character. And he had a more interesting uh, boss as well that uh, he, he made a name for himself. He sure did, man. And I'll, uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to cover the boss a little bit here because We've done fun stuff. We covered um, the Deep Throat thing, the uncovering of Watergate. We've covered the Tet Offensive. We talked about a lot of the crazy shit that went on around this time frame. So we won't bore the le- uh, the loser devotees, are really our founding losers, who, again, we cannot do this show without. I love you all. Um, so we're not going to bore you guys here. We're going to give you the weird-ass details that we found on this one. Richard Milhouse Nixon is about as complicated of a human being as American politics has ever created. You yeah. tell. Oh, he's the best. I mean, it's he's the best and the worst. He's the villain. He's a a, a misguided hero. He's the right man for the right time for the job. He's, uh, I mean, a scoundrel. 
it can be dick. <laughs> he really is every the whatever you when you try his biographers have such a, a damned crazed time trying to figure out well how do we put this chapter of his life he might be the hero this next chapter he could be full-blown sith lord <laughs> he's got he really has a complicated legacy and we're still feeling some of the impacts of what he went through today and there's a, um, a little thing that it gets brought up a lot right now in current politics and we are not a political show we will never be a political yeah. show this is tough tough to stay away from politics but uh, yeah tough. it can't stay crazy away. times so the 25th amendment comes involved towards the end of the story here today but uh uh, good old Millhouse Nixon is uh, everything's coming up. Millhouse, baby. Uh, his presidency is going to be full of scandals, hope, despair, drama, victories, enduring legacies and enduring disgraces. And uh, again, it's probably still not fully over yet either. <laughs> there are two Nixon stories that will forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. Yeah. <laughs> Long time. <laughs> Get glanced over, though, as the limelight of the Nixon administration belongs to what scandal, Dad? Uh, Watergate would be number one for uh, old Tricky Dick Nixon. Now, the guy we're going to cover today, he has a scandal before Watergate, but you can't really call it gate because Watergate was the gate. So it's the gate yeah, without a gate. Gate Watergate was the start of the gates. I mean, that was the, the founding gators. Well, as my uh, as my uncle Ronnie used to say, Watergate does not bother me. Does your conscience bother you? Tell the truth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... This one's my, th I think you'll like this one, Dad. What year were you born? 1951. In 1952, you know what Nixon was up to? Uh, he was probably vice president at the time, wasn't he? He was on the ticket for it. Okay. So, as the 1952 presidential election campaign is well underway, Nixon, a military veteran from a modest family that had served with distinction in Congress, had now been selected as a vice president for war hero, former Supreme Allied Commander, and current Republican nominee... What's his name? Uh, that would be uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Ike, baby. Ike, baby. Ike. My favorite I like quote. Ike. <laughs> that was his campaign slogan. Cahoon's my favorite quote ever about um, uh, Eisenhower. This is such a great thing. When the American troops are over in England preparing for D-Day, um, there's a back and forth because we got that special relationship with England, right? And um, they're teasing each other, right? And it's... Uh, one of the, uh, the the British guys used to say to uh, the American troops or whatever, he goes, you know, the problem with you Americans, you're actually pretty great guys. Your only problem is you're uh, 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 oversexed, uh, overviolenced, and uh, overpaid. Uh, I'm sorry, overpaid, oversexed, and over here. <laughs> That's right. That was the British line. Jumping our, yeah. our females. And, uh, and then the American response to that was, well, the problem with you Brits is that you're uh, underpaid, undersexed, and under Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you guys are a badass army, but you're listening to Ike, baby. Because right. so, oh, he's supreme commander. Now, this is a great ticket with a lot of promise. After all, the Democrats, mind you, between FDR and Truman, have been running the executive branch of the country for a length of time similar to maybe that of the Han Dynasty in China. It, it, it's been a lot of... Uh, you have not seen this many Ds since, well, OnlyFans. Um, fucking <laughs> hell. Come on. <laughs> At this time, Nixon is an admirable guy who made his bones fighting and exposing political corruption. And there's a little, pun intended, Greek tragedy here. <laughs> As we know, uh, the man who will uh, live by the war, uh, li yeah, live by the sword, tends to die by the sword. So... Nixon would be accused of uh, himself being politically corrupt by allowing his backers to fund parts of his political career, namely his travel, 
uh, sending out mailers and stuff. Like there were people that were the backers were like, oh, we'll pay for your stamps. You know, you know where we're going with this, <laughs> and a right? A little Dad? more than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll pay for your travel. Now, this is not illegal at the time. But because Nixon had been so demonstrative in his attacks on political corruption, the press, which everybody knows is not a corrupt uh, body and has no oh, agenda no, whatsoever. No, no, no. <laughs> no not no. slanted or opinionated in any degree. Well, they begin reporting on it in earnest because this guy who's saying I'm, you know, it, it's like the guy saying uh, we need to clean up baseball. And they're like, oh, uh, we should, will you take a steroid test? Well, not me, but we should clean up baseball. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and um, all the point shoeless Joe Jackson is the uh, – Chief moderator on That's all that. right. By the way, anyone who watched that Field of Dreams game uh, with the Yankees and the White Sox, all that shoeless Joe Jackson there, if you listen to this show, you knew the backstory, baby. We're, we're enhancing your experience with Major League Baseball. <laughs> there you go, Patreons. <laughs> so, um, but Nixon's an interesting guy here, man. Uh, he uh, the, the press is running with this story. This is a pre-Watergate type scenario. The story takes off. The Republican National Committee begins to wonder if Nixon – needs to be removed from the ticket. Is he going to be the cancer similar to that? Okay. And I'm not, again, not a political statement here. There's so many people that feel like John McCain had an honest shot until Sarah Palin came into the race because the press just destroyed her. And she definitely put her foot in her mouth on a regular occasion, despite being what would have been the hottest vice president we've ever had. On the regular, regular. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's really, honest to God, hottest vice president ever could have been Sarah Palin. Now it's still Millard Fillmore. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Good looking Miller. That's a <laughs> 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 Oh, this is already the best episode of Patreon ever. We're having some fun, man. And I hope you guys are enjoying listening here because this story does take off. They're debating if Nixon's got to get off the ticket here. Um, Nixon is aware of this. He is such a brilliant tactician. I know that he's got a reputation as a bastard, but there's so many people that go, that's how you do it. He's got almost a Tyrion Lannister thing going on to him. <laughs> right. Where he just, he goes, I, I know things. <laughs> I drink you and I do, know things. You do, Dick. You do. <laughs> so he stops on the campaign trail, gets himself over to L.A., and he's going to give a very famous speech. Do you know this speech, Dad? No, go ahead. Because I'm blindsiding you with this this little detail. Yeah, you absolutely here. are. But, but it's good, all right? And it's almost over here. So he tells a national audience that he uh, he gets the RNC to buy him a half hour of television time to explain directly to the public his situation so that he can try to keep himself on the ticket as VP for Ike's uh, presidential hopes. He tells the national audience, which, by the way, uh, the, it's watched by over 60 million people, so that's about a fraction of what we get on this podcast, um, that he had received funds, they were not illegal, but that he would also not keep any of the gifts or favors that were given to him by backers. So he was going to clean up his own camp here. And he goes, the only thing I asked to keep is uh, a, a gift I was given of a, a cocker spaniel, that was oh, given to me that yeah. I gave to my children that they have named Checkers. And Checkers is a loving, loved part of our family. So I will keep Checkers the dog. And uh, I mean, you know this speech, yeah, yeah. right? Now you know it. Yeah, Checkers. That was a, his famous thing. But he ran on a whole thing about he was going to uh, go after the communists. He was because, again, we're in the middle of the, the Red Scare, too, uh, in the 50s. And, uh, you know, when, when you proclaiming yourself as a uh, Captain Courageous, that you're going after all the bad guys. You better make sure that your own house is in order. Well, he makes this endearing speech about the cute little Cocker Spaniel checkers, and uh, he, he kind of wins over the hearts and minds with that. And we're in a political era that uh, the vice president really doesn't do shit. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, he's just 
the number two guy. He's the heartbeat away from He's actually. He's the designated survivor. Right. <laughs> sort of. Uh, um, and to choose your VP at that time, it was really more on running the, the campaign, the, the election campaign, and really not so much for what this guy's going to be able to do for the country once he's elected into office, other than sit around and wait for somebody to take out the number one guy. Because <laughs> that's when you're, again, you're a heartbeat away from actually doing something with your life. I'm going to say so, this is Patreon only. So this is we know it's our loser um, diehard. So we can we can talk about this. At, it used to be about putting together a unified ticket that you could get different parts of the country to jump on board with you. Lately, lately, and this is as close to a political comment as I'll ever make, it's turned into a thing where it's like, well, how do we keep a, what, we need a VP that makes the current incumbent assassination proof where people are like, oh, we did the math. This gets worse if we do that. Right. So God forbid we take out number one because look who we're going to get for number two. That's yeah. That's been going on for about, I would say the last 12 years. Right. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, now it's interesting because that strategy works. That checker speech wins over, like you said, dead, the hearts and the minds. And he asks at the end of the video, he goes, call the RNC and tell them you want me to stay on the ticket. And the phones are ringing off the goddamn hook. Nixon has pulled off a brilliant political move, similar to that of like when Bill Murray looked into the camera on SNL and goes, hey guys, I'm Bill Murray. I'm funny. I just haven't been funny on this show yet. Give me a chance. And then they liked him. And then all of a sudden that guy is maybe the greatest of all time on that show. Yeah. So, um, but it's crazy because it winds up working out for him. The ticket is very successful. Eisenhower goes down as one of the more successful and popular presidents in American history. And uh, he's able to – Ike himself here is able to get away with having a little bit of a problematic vice president. Oddly enough, history is going to repeat itself and our boy Nixon's not going to be that lucky. Enter this week's loser, Spiro T. Agnew. Nice so, Greek boy. He was a nice Greek boy. He's a good, good boy. Uh, to show you how Greek he was, his father ran a restaurant. So there you go. What kind of restaurant? <laughs> Be more specific. I think what, what a diner. Yep, the Greeks <laughs> run diners. And dude, this is the funniest part. His father ran a diner and read philosophy. And I was like, is he? Do you come from Stereotype Island? <laughs> That's right. All those. All those words, they, they are Greek in origin. <laughs> and we can tease a little bit because the Greeks and the Armenians are similar. And my father married into an Armenian family and I've been adopted into it. And so it's, it's a culture, baby. <laughs> it's a, Opa. It certainly is. So, uh, now, after Nixon will lose the 1960 presidential election to a charming young bootlegger son from Massachusetts <laughs> named John Fitzgerald. Another war hero, though. Another war hero. <laughs> that, dude, I miss that. I miss because the, these and guys- And a good looking uh, war hero. So. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, by the way, uh, wife is a smoke show. So <laughs> That's right. Um, now, this is ironic, too, because he loses that 1960 presidential election to JFK, ironically, largely in part due to Nixon visibly sweating on live TV during the debates. So a couple years earlier, he's using the television to speak directly to the people. And it's so effective that it rolls. And then uh, when you see him on live TV, he's got to answer stuff and he can't be as prepared. He looks a little nervous. You got this good looking guy here, Kennedy, who's again, you said a war hero, comes from a good family. And uh, it was an easy decision, man. We're going to go with the young, charming guy, see what he has to say. So um, Nixon would have to figure out his next political move. His former vice presidential candidate uh, was at the time for that election was Henry Cabot Lodge, who's a very well thought of guy, but just didn't get the job done here. That didn't work on the first go around. Now, craziest time in American history. And this is what I'm about to ask you about that for the zeitgeist. You have Ike right in office over right. here. 
You got uh, JFK now. He's promising this new America. You got this idea we're putting people into space. Um, right. We're challenging the uh, the Soviets in, in the space race. We're still at odds with the Soviets. I mean, everybody's afraid of lobbing nuclear bombs at one another. So I mean, it's scary time in America. But now we've got this young, uh, enthusiastic uh, president, JFK, promising uh, better things down the road. He used to actually JFK is the first president that was born in the in the 1900s rather than the 1800s. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So he's <laughs> he's uh, you know the young up and comer kind of a thing. One of the youngest presidents at that time um, to serve, and uh, you know his initial uh, um, inauguration speech is ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I mean, think, things are on an you uptick. You mean fascism? <laughs> <laughs> things are on an uptick. Uh, you know, he, there's uh, brighter horizons uh, are down the road. And not that the 50s were anything. I mean, there was a huge, you know, baby boom uh, population. This, the seeds are, of change are being right. sown we, in this we time. Just, we just kicked the shit out of Germany and Japan. And uh, uh, th things are rolling along in the 50s and... Uh, now we're into the 60s, and uh, you know it's a whole new generation that's taking charge of the country. Yeah, in the 60s, we're racing for pinks to the moon. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> we got that. Then there's um, there's so much uh, cultural change and uh, uh, political change going on within the country too. It's a wild friggin' time over here, and um, the interestingly, industrial wild west. Yeah, you go from uh, now JFK's in. Uh, of course, he gets assassinated, right? Mm -hmm. So now his VP, again, the, the VPs are so important around this time frame. That's when we really started to reevaluate the office. Um, his VP, Lyndon Bain Johnson, all mm -hmm. right, uh, good old boy from Texas. Uh, Our next president. First guy to have barbecue served in the White House. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it goes to show you, too, that you're, you're selecting your VP at that time to try to pull in the rest of the country. So you got JFK from Boston, from Massachusetts, and who are you going to pick for your VP but a Texas boy to try to bring in some of the Southern vote and, you know, to uh, try to pull in the rest of the country and not that it's just uh, the Northern, the Northern. We're going to have some pulled pork grinders later. <laughs> you you call him a grinder? Did he just, did the president just call it a grinder? Yeah. How the hell? But, okay. uh, you know, there, there's, there's things that are uh, incubating too worldwide. I mean, we're, it was Eisenhower who first got us into Vietnam because we were, fighting the uh, the red tide were um, trying to prevent the communist takeover from, well, we already had a little get-go with uh, the Korean War. Uh, you mean the, the police 50s. action. The police action. <laughs> Believe me, there was enough people killed that it's not a police action. That's a, that's a for real war. But, um, you know, just worldwide, what's going on in Africa, what's going down in South America, what's going on with Cuba, what's going on, uh, you know, again, all over the world that... Uh, there's there's things that are that are brewing, and there's also some uh, social unrest that's starting to brew in uh, in uh, the early '60s. We now have Johnson coming in, and he's trying to fight a war in Vietnam, and he's also trying to create the Great Society, where he's trying to bring about some social justice, some social change. So there's uh, there's some things happening here for sure. Well, and we got Nixon just sitting there plotting his next move because um, LBJ, interestingly enough, again, what a what a complicated guy he is in history because uh, he assumes the office after JFK is assassinated. Then he wins his own outright term against Barry Goldwater, right, who very, very important. The keynote speaker at Barry Goldwater's um, RNC uh, uh, um, 
uh, like nomination, if you will. Well, that the keynote speaker at the convention that year for him was a uh, governor from California named Ronald Reagan, who everybody goes, this guy could be something. Yeah. So when you're when you're chosen as the keynote speaker at the at the uh, national convention, uh, that's a sign that uh, hey, let's let's put a spotlight on this guy and see where he might be going because. Now, he was uh, the president of the, the Film Actors Guild, and he was also uh, had some political doings. So he's now the governor of uh, California. So where Ronald was, Reagan, the actor? Yeah, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> the actor. But uh, Gonzo uh, or Bonzo, what was it? What was the film he did that uh, with the monkey? Um, but Mr. anyhow, Mr. Bonzo uh, or something. Yeah, right? uh, you know he he's he's another up and comer kind of a thing with uh, bedtime for Bonzo. I want to say okay. Um, but again, this is going to open up a very interesting thing here because LBJ decides, dude, what's going on in Vietnam and a lot of protests going on outside the White House. He goes, I'm eligible due to the laws because I assumed the office for JFK. I won my own outright term. Legally, he would be allowed to run again if he wanted to. Announces that he's not going to. And somewhere uh, in uh, in the Nixon camp, you just heard him go, my God, <laughs> it's back. We're back. <laughs> my opportunity arises. Yeah, I mean, things are starting to go bad with uh, with Vietnam. We're, we're now gone through a huge uh, military buildup. I mean, 600, 700,000 troops are now in Vietnam. Uh, we had a little thing called the Tet Offensive, which we have already covered on American Loser. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, America became uh, acutely aware that uh, this might be not a win for us, that uh, the way we're fighting this war, that uh, um, this is more than just the Viet Cong hiding out, the guerrillas hiding out in the jungle. This is uh, this is a little more than that. And, uh, you know, again, uh, the opinion of the government, public opinion of the, of the government and the way things are going is uh, starting to be questioned. And again, the whole social unrest on, on the home front um, we've got a lot of uh, upheaval and, uh, you know, sign of the times. You get your president is assassinated. Short term later, um, his brother, Bobby Kennedy, is assassinated. And a short time after that, um, a guy who was working for peaceful, peaceful change um, in Martin Luther King, he gets assassinated. So, I mean, it's like, holy shit, what's going on here with this country that now, uh, we're we're in a, a bit of uh, turmoil, to put it politely. Uh, the great Patrice O'Neill bit. Anybody who tries to change the world, they take those motherfuckers out. When Malcolm X was talking about the blue-eyed devils, he was just living his life. <laughs> when he came back from Mecca and he goes, everyone's my brother, all of a sudden, oh, we got to go. You got to <laughs> go, dude. So this took uh, time now. This is going to open the door for Tricky Dick to make some more moves. And for the 1968 election campaign hopes, he's going to tap a nice Greek boy on the shoulder as his hopeful VP. Spiro T. Agnew, dad, as you covered, is the son of a Greek immigrant who stereotypically opened a diner and constantly read philosophy, which is why I love the Greeks. Very proud to be as Ancestry.com has confirmed 3% Greek because it explains my love of mythology and technically allows me via a loophole to date Greek girls because they're not allowed to date non-Greeks. <laughs> so it's like, hey, listen, if you want some blondes and you you want, yeah, we'll make something happen. Only 3% of you can date a Greek girl. That's a, you know what? That's all I need. <laughs> 3% of me is, it's going to go pretty far, trust me. Um, but Spiro's a bright kid and the family's doing relatively well for themselves, but financial hardships are completely unavoidable around this time because you, as you covered, Dad, this is, we're going back in time now here to cover when Spiro was a young man. So to give you an idea of the time, 
Spiro will drop out of John Hopkins where he was a chemistry major. So the kid's got a brain and he goes, I don't know if this chemistry thing is for me and uh, I'm just going to go into law instead. So now he's studying law. During this time, he will meet his future wife and the mother of his four children, a woman that they started calling Judy. So, but as you can guess by the time frame, things in Europe are getting a little out of control. And Just boy, a hair. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting wild. Little guy with a mustache making some weird speeches over there. Japan's doing this kind of hyper military thing. Um, it gets wild because uh, Spira will be drafted into the U.S. Army in 1941. Spira will serve as a commissioned officer and see heavy action after serving mostly in an administrative role, preparing for the D-Day invasion. He actually gets himself into the shit, boots on the ground. His men will be, his men who, who served under him describe their conditions as uh, fighting in the hole of the donut during the infamous battle of the Bulge, specifically the siege of Bastogne. Uh, my grandfather fought there too as well. And uh, much like American hero Marty Z. Boyajian, Spiro <laughs> T. Agnew will also be awarded the Bronze Star for his actions in the European theater. So upon returning from the war, Spiro would return to his legal studies and his career in Baltimore. And as far as his politics went, this is where it gets funny. You want to talk about the game of politics, Cahoons? This is about as funny as it gets, because um, this is when what someone's title is, isn't what they really mean. And they're kind of playing it. So here you go. Spiro followed his father's beliefs and leaned Democrat, okay. right? Democrat for the times. We're talking post-World War II Democrat. And he gets advised by some of his friends over at the legal firm that he's working at. He goes, you know, there's a few too many young, ambitious Democrats coming out of Maryland. We're kind of a blue state. We've got a blue rep, like a rep here. You know, you'd probably make a little bit more headway if you just went Republican. And he didn't change any. Yep. Well, wait, let me ask you something. Is it I know that we've kind of established before that, like, especially prior and in, in prior times, in a very loose sense of the term, the two parties have switched. But that I mean, this is what year is this? This is like 19, like 1947. Yeah, so post, is, is the difference. So is the difference still that significant? It's uh, I'll say this. It's like you understand what I'm asking. Yes. Right? OK. And uh, in New Jersey right now, I won't I won't say what county because it'll give away who I'm referring to um, in Essex County, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends that hold political offices that have to are, are through and through uh, conservatives, fiscal conservatives that have to run as Democrats because an R in front of your name makes you completely unelectable in that that demographic. Gotcha. So you will you have to have the D in front of your name in order to even get thought of because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, Republican? No, get out of here. Because right. that's the, the 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 game mindset that they have here. Yeah. So all they're suggesting to young Spiro at this time is, well, hey, listen, keep your beliefs as what they are. Put the R in front of your name because when the, the RNC is looking for people, the Republican machine needs people, you're going to stand out because right. you're a guy who can do this. So it, it's like being a clean comic. If you're a clean comic, you get way more work, right? Because yeah. anybody can tell dick jokes. So if you're hanging out at like the stand and it's everybody's dirty and you're the clean comic that night, everyone's going to be like, oh, that guy, the clean comic, we can use he him. He made me laugh without saying dick. Yeah, go get um, <laughs> got Nate Bargatze and Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan. They all need openers. Let's go do that one, man. That Which is why I hate that I can't write clean comedy. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, but just the, in in um, um, Maryland at the time, if you're a Republican, there's more move up opportunities available to you 
within the Republican Party than there were at that time right. within the Democratic Maryland Party. and Massachusetts seem to always be fighting each other for being the bluest state in the union in terms of being like uh, old school Democrats. That's right. your, your working class Catholic Democrats kind of a thing. And you got to remember, too, you're, you're, in, you're in Maryland now, too. So you're um, on the edge of uh, the Southern Democratic Party. Uh, political machine, if you will, too, that uh, there's a huge voting block at that time um, that's going to be Democratic. Uh, so you're, you're going to have he Spiro's an interesting guy here, too. This is why he's such great loser fodder, because also how his story ends is is absolutely the definition of a Greek tragedy. Um, but then on top of that, he is a man with no country at many times here. Oh, so, shit. He, uh, like we said, he winds up going ahead and getting involved over here. He registers as a Republican, continues to practice laws, not really making his entry into the political scene just yet. Briefly gets recalled into service for the Korean War. Uh, when he gets out, begins specializing in labor law. So again, you want to talk about how to get involved with people who uh, you want to work with the unions. You want to be on the side of the unions. Yeah. Um, you want to get the blue collar workers. Maybe a lot of them Catholic. I mean, it's it's Maryland. It's Maryland. Okay, you think they got a little thing going on? Petition for the people. That's right. So, <laughs> um, so he's definitely setting himself up as a champion of the the little guy here, if you will. Um, and then he will finally enter the political forum. Agnew saw himself dismissed by Republicans as an outsider and a newbie with a few too many liberal tendencies. He was a non-establishment type. He's also rebuked by the Democrats just for having an R on his name on the ballot. It's like, oh, get the get out of here. <laughs> you know, that the, also the, like today, okay. the, the beautiful tolerant left where if you just try to if you're any sort of a maverick tendency, you're absolutely hated the same way. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is hated the same way that John McCain was hated. If you try to do anything where you can be an individual, Ron Paul is hated by the Republicans one minute and then damned by the Democrats the next. I mean, he, that's what killed. That's what killed Romney. He tried to. He tried. He was like, "Hey, listen, I like Big Bird, but I'll defund PBS." That's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that was a one-issue vote for you, buddy. Absolutely. <laughs> How dare you? Welcome back to puppets. <laughs> oh my God, he lost Sesame Street. The five electoral votes. Votes of Sesame Street were lost in that one. <laughs> right. Elmo's not going to vote for you. Oscar de Grouch was on the on the edge, but uh, burn it all. <laughs> Once he heard that, he was like, "Nah, I, I won't even do it." <laughs> oh, well, this is going to lead to a very weird position, similar to Nixon, where um, now he'd been seen as an honest servant. This was Nixon's whole thing: an honest servant who was getting victimized by the machine of politics. That's why his checkers speech was so effective. So. Now, uh, our boy Spiro, the, the public is starting to see him. They're like, this guy's trying. He's really trying to bring change. This is that new youth movement coming in here. This guy's a war hero. And the establishment people in both parties are being dicks to him. It doesn't even matter what allegiance he would have. So he starts getting this popularity. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, hang on. This Spiro guy is pretty popular. There's Democrats that like him a lot. There's some Republicans that like him a lot. So he's able to kind of be this almost grassroots kind of a thing here. And of course, I mean, this is a war hero, a labor lawyer who's rooting for the Baltimore Colts. They're still in Baltimore at this time. Oof. That's going to go pretty far in Maryland. So Spiro could be trapped in no man's land quite often, though. He successfully held several local offices. Now, this one's you want to talk about the machine, the political machine. Spiro T. Agnew passes an anti-discrimination law, one of the first of its kind. Yeah, okay. he's a, I believe at this point, if you're if we're talking the same thing, he's a county executive within county executive within. Right. Yes, sir. So he's holding these local offices. He goes ahead and he gets himself uh, hooked up here. He's got um, 
uh, anti-discrimination law is passed, right? Huge win for the, the civil rights movement, for progress, everything like that, right? Um, except it doesn't really do much because the county that he's the executive of is 97% white. So there's no, like, hey, that 3%, like I'm 3% Greek, that 3% of the population that's not white, you can't be discriminated against, okay? Okay, scout's honor. Yeah. Scout's honor. <laughs> but, Swear on it. Exactly. Yeah, but it started to give him uh, the image of a of somewhat of a liberal here that uh, in an in an area that uh, was not any way, shape, or form liberal. That you know he's now uh, he's increasing uh, teachers' salaries. He's uh, reorganizing police departments, and uh, you know he's doing some things on the local level. That uh, and then this anti-discrimination bill passed and gave him the reputation as a liberal. Um, but again, you're in a in a county. It's probably one of the richest counties in Maryland, and uh, it's 97% white. So how much change did he really bring about to the people is mm -hmm. uh, somewhat limited. But again, he's he's putting a label on himself that uh, he might be a Republican, but he's a, a liberal Republican that he's still working for the for the little guy, for the common man. He's I, and that's I think that's where the middle is, right? That my, like I won't go into my political beliefs at all, but I will say this: it's like, listen, uh, let's the government should exist to help people, but we also have to have like you know, let's not just throw money at all of our problems. So let's let's have a little restraint when we open up everybody else's wallet. You know what I'm <laughs> that's saying? Right. That's all we're looking for in the middle here. But uh, that, like you said, Dad, he gets the reputation as a liberal. Um, he does, however, ruffle some feathers though because he refuses to attend a memorial service held in Baltimore for the 16th Street Baptist bombing that took place in Alabama, where uh, several young black children were killed due to his issues uh, with the increasing violence that was going on in Baltimore uh, during their own particular portion of the civil rights movement. So, so he refused to go to one of the like victims of moral services? No, so, no. It, this was a bombing. Uh, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Oh, I know the bombing. I'm was was, like, it, was in Alabama. And- Within, um, I believe, Baltimore, there was a Baltimore church that was going to have a, a memorial service for the victims of that bombing, and he refused to go. Um, so, Any particular reason why? Or uh, I, th I'm always surmising here, but I think it's because um, that was a um, a violent protest against against that kind of a thing that he was. I think he was for bringing about change, but it wasn't going to be brought about by having uh, violent protests. He was a, a law and order guy, which is eventually what's going right. to pick up um, which Nixon. Is what Nixon's going to pick up on that, that he's, yeah. he's more for law and order kind of a thing and, and police reform and that type of a thing. But, uh, well, we'll see a little later on. But again, we're in the times now that, uh, you know, things are, uh, the civil rights movement is definitely picking up in the early 60s with these various church bombings and lynchings and, uh, and all this type ahead. of a thing. Yeah. And uh, you have- um, You said Martin, it earlier, but we haven't even- uh, Martin Luther King's not dead yet. Yeah. He, he's right. still there, but Martin Luther King is bringing about change, but he's doing it in a, in a peaceful manner, rather than in a, in a nonviolent manner, rather than uh, the way some of these others. And then you have your, your Black Panthers, and there was certainly some other- um, um, black organizations that were saying about uh, burn baby burn rather than bringing about um, you know give my people a chance or whatever. Um, Not even that, a chance, just a fair shake. Yeah, you know? <laughs> just give him a give him a fair shot at it. So Spiro is, and he's such a complicated guy on this particular issue because he seems to abhor violence, 
uh, and then he will also make such uh, such a friend of the black community and then also occasionally alienate them. It's weird. He's also got a little bit of a reputation around this time. He starts getting accused of being a little too friendly with some of the rich donors that seem to be back, similar to the Nixon thing we were just talking about. He's casually accused of what will be referred to as cronyism to how he, oh, by the way, and he he did it the best way too. Anytime they accused him of that, he just goes, no, what are you talking? You're ridiculous. Get out. That's absolutely false. Absolutely right. false. Moving on. Deny, deny, deny. Vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He also begins ruffling feathers with the Republicans for not openly supporting and eventually begrudgingly supporting Barry Goldwater, who ran against LBJ. Barry Goldwater, by the way, a little footnote about him, uh, ran against the civil rights movement. He wanted to run because he did not want that, um, but only because, and it was it was the most, you want to talk about dying on a hill, um, he opposed it because he didn't want uh, business owners, uh, he didn't want the government interfering with business owners. So the same way, which is such a weird thing, right? Because then it, we're, we almost still talk about it to this day with uh, gay wedding cakes and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Where it's, well, what can the government force a business to do? We're talking yeah. about it now a little bit with vaccination cards and stuff. This fight's going on all the way back then. Isn't it crazy how history repeats itself? Yeah. Over and, and over and over again. And, it's and a lot, over. A lot harder if you don't know what's coming too, folks. So keep listening to this show. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Come to KP's uh show on the 11th too that'd be great that's uh, well, we didn't even announce it yet i'm excited about that because patreon people are all going to know because we're going to announce this one and the other one too now here's the cool part spiro is a friend of the black community over here he gets a groundswell of support he actually wins 70 percent of the black vote because they can see like this guy's trying to do something for us here yeah this guy's worth it he's not um yeah because there's literally people that are um uh Pro segregation that are running for office right now. Yeah, just got tricky a, dick. That's tricky dick. Was I'm, it I'm, gets uh, it gets weird, right? Yeah, because there's a guy. There's there's people who within the party. Maybe there's some people who have those feelings. There's actually somebody who winds up running uh, as we're going to cover in a minute for the uh, governor, uh, the gubernatorial election that literally runs as the segregationist party, and uh, he wins the election. By the way. It's very, it's conflicted. We'll get to that here in a second here, but this is kind of cool. You can hear my eye roll, people. That's a <laughs> <laughs> Spiro uh, has 70% of the black vote and a ground swell of support uh, for Agnew from these alienated rival Democrats. Uh, this little thing you start hearing now is called uh, Democrats for Agnew, right? So he's pulling that stuff off. You saw a couple of years ago, there was the idea of uh, um, uh, conservatives for Kerry. Or uh, um, there was also uh, uh, Democrats for uh, for Bush. Um, it, you'd see people are like, well, listen, I my issues. That's another thing, too. I've had people say this. They've had the same political beliefs their entire life. But throughout the 30 year period that we always talk about, somehow or other, all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, am I? Am I, the, I thought I was this. Now I'm that. And none of my opinions changed. The party's changed. So you hear a lot of that stuff sometimes. Um, yeah, now you're talking about when he's running for governor. He is now going to be running right. for governor, right? Uh, not bad, by the way, because he uh, he winds up winning that election um, uh, through some very strange circumstances. But uh, all of a sudden, uh, the nice Greek boy, the son of the diner owner, is now the governor of Maryland. But the problem is these accusations of bribery and corruption kind of keep hounding him. If and when he does acknowledge him, he says, uh, it's not the case. There's no story. Move on. Get out of here. Now, that black support base that he has, he winds up alienating them here following the riots in Baltimore after the assassination of Martin Luther King. Spiro will invite about 100 moderate black community leaders. These are the people that 
Um, you know, because let's be honest, there's everybody has some conservative tendencies. Everyone has some liberal tendencies. So if you can get these moderate people in the middle, you can have a discussion. You can foster change. These people show up thinking that there's going to be a good dialogue going on here. We have the governor of Maryland that wants to talk to us. And instead, um, Governor Agnew decides that he's just going to yell at them for not controlling their community. Like, I can't believe you guys let this shit happen. This is ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. Get your house in order kind of a thing. And uh, there's actually a walkout where I believe it's a black minister says, uh, we will we are you will speak to us like we are ladies and gentlemen, because it seemed like he was just scalding them as children at this point. So that alienates big time some of the support that he once had from the black community over here. Uh, the black community is now wondering if this is just a George Wallace in uh, Spiro T. Agnew clothing. So this is going to also lead to his support, though, for the law and order type. So he's going to win some voters over who are like, hey, man, these riots are getting out of control here. But he's going to alienate the people who are yeah, not causing the riots, but the riots are uh, in the riots are being put into place in hopes of overcoming injustices suffered by the community. So. Yeah, to to back that up a little bit, Kev, too, that, that rioting that took place in Baltimore, there was a, a smaller protest riot, whatever you want to call it. There was a uh, black um, militant student, H. Rep. Brown, that uh, he was not the Martin Luther King type. He was just the, the polar opposite of that. And there was a, uh, you know, not a very peaceful demonstration put on. And Here's Agnew um, as the law and order guy that uh, when he called in those um, black community leaders, he kind of scolded them that how could you let how could you let them take over uh, um, from a peaceful demonstration to to the rioting and burning and that type of thing. And then following the assassination of Martin Luther King. Now we're talking 1968, 1968, following the, the Martin Luther King assassination. Nationwide, there was um, all kinds of wide, widespread rioting and disorder across the U.S. There was 110 cities nationwide that had some form of uh, rioting and protest going on. I mean, that was uh, Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, right? well, yeah, you had New York, you had Los Angeles, you had Baltimore, you had uh, you know all the all the major cities that took place. Now, we in still other died in Jersey. Just wanted to point that out. Oh, okay. Interesting fun fact about the the riot in Newark. It just Side note, on I think it was the 50th anniversary during COVID, right? And uh, one of the George Floyd protests ended up happening on the same day, and it was completely peaceful. It was where, that got covered on the news. It, it was the um, uh, one of the few completely no damage, no property damage. No, I don't even think they Newark. left signs on the street. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I think Gordon, former guest of the show, was on that one. Actually, he was at that. I believe. I wanted to. It's uh. Keep going, though, LP, because we're going to hop into uh, – because uh, Trekkie Dick's starting to notice some of your work down there. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, here's the, your law and order guy that, uh, you know, there was uh, widespread rioting uh, in, in Baltimore itself. But the way Agnew uh, handled that, where other governors or, or uh, city mayors, like Lindsay is in the mayor of New York, he went in and, sp and spoke – um, to the to the people with other black community leaders and kind of calm things down. Um, very, Agnew, very liberal guy too, but it's interesting because Lindsay will also eventually be up for the potential VP position, right? which is wild. Agnew declared a state of emergency and called out the National Guard. Uh, when order was restored, there were six dead and more than 4,000 were under arrest. The fire department responded to 1,200 fires. I mean, there was widespread looting, 
uh, Agnew summoned more than 100 moderate black leaders to the state capitol, where instead of being uh, constructive dialogue, he uh, castrated them to, for their failure, control more radical elements. So he's, he's scolding the, uh, the moderates for allowing the radicals to uh, let things get out of yeah. hand. So. Let's yell at the only people that maybe we could have gotten some sense <laughs> right. through to. You know what I mean? We, we could have met in the us. middle on this thing. No, let's burn that bridge and make sure. Yeah. So, oh, it's wild. The um, Now, Spiro supported for president. He supported this guy by the name of Nelson D. Rockefeller. Yeah, Nelson D. Rock. Not not the pops. This is the son. Um, you, you tried to run for president? So yeah. he was uh, at this point, he was a senator. Well, um, that's not horrifying. Nelson D. Rockefeller. Um, Spiro supports him as the presidential hopeful and is shocked that after helping him campaign publicly, talking up Rockefeller nonsense, Rockefeller, this guy can do it, man. This is a great man here. He comes from a, a big family. He knows how things work. He's going to get things done. And Rockefeller just goes, oh, you guys, uh, I'm not running anymore. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. And Spiro's like, oh, wait, what? Because I think he found out. I want to say he found out when the news broke because Rockefeller didn't even tell him. So he kind of felt betrayed a little bit by that. Yeah. Agnew was one of the big supporters of Rockefeller getting on the ticket. And then Rockefeller announces that he's bowing out. Uh, and what didn't a punk bother move. To, didn't bother <laughs> to tell him. Yeah. So now within uh, days of that announcement, uh, Agnew is now being um, you know, sought after or wooed by some of the other presidential candidates at this point so they're not they're not on the ticket yet because they haven't had their their convention just yet but and again now we're in 1968 <laughs> not a not an easy time in american history and what did the tet offensive happen in what yeah. year uh, the same type of thing that, tet there's, there's returning vietnam vets are saying we got to get the hell out of there and then that was a game changer for a lot of the american public too that you know early on when they're having all these vietnam protests uh, you know, it just Peace-loving hippies, uh, you know, they're just scaredy, scaredy afraid of uh, of going to war, and they're running away to Canada. They're, they're, they're chicken shits that are protesting this war, and all. now you got returning vets that are saying that we don't belong here, and that that is also a, a mind changer to a lot of the public opinion. But there's actually that footage of John Kerry throwing his war medals, but they actually said it had such a good spiral on it that the Niners thought about signing him as a backup quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, Kerry did what? No, he threw his John event. Kerry, yeah. So he was a Vietnam uh, veteran, uh, decorated one too, when he was, there's footage of him uh, throwing his war medals away at a Vietnam protest. Um, so it, it's a very contentious time here. And you're going to see young names, young names here that are going to come into the forefront very soon. Because guess what? As you said, Dad, Spiro's got this popularity because he can kind of mend fences here. If you're a moderate person, you're kind of going to be drawn towards Spiro. He's got some good oratory skills. The Greeks, they're very good in debate, logic, shit like this. Um, you know, they also make good desserts. Um, Aren't you Greek? That's a uh, 3%, baby. Says the man <laughs> who works in comedy. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the uh, it's very interesting to me because now there's this immediate desire, like you said, Dad, in Nixon's camp as uh, Spiro as a possible VP candidate. Other candidates for VP, New York City liberal Mayor Lindsay. Right. Also, the current governor of California, we mentioned already, future president Ronald Reagan. Nixon wanted to unite the party, though. And he said, well, this Reagan guy, that might alienate some people. This, If I bring in a liberal New York City mayor, that might alienate some people. I might not win enough votes in New York just to justify that. So Nixon goes, 
let's get someone with a little bit of crossover appeal here once people learn about him. And uh, he brings in Spiro T. Agnew. Spiro yeah, is now, the '68 election was weird too. That it's a it's a three three person election. You mm-hmm. had you had uh, a guy uh, down south or uh, George Wallace who was also running as an independent. So uh, there was a huge faction, at least in the southern uh, sphere. George that, Wallace is the let loose the dogs guy. No, he's yeah. the guy that's blocking the uh, the gateway to the school when the black uh, black students are trying to gain entrance into uh, this dude. This dude ran for president. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. He might be another being by the reaction of the Kahuna. I think maybe we need to do because I've never an episode heard of on him. George Wallace. So when you guys were referring to him, I was like, "Excuse me, yeah, I've never heard of this dude. And I'm glad I have." Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we'll cover him because there's a thing called the Southern strategy that's uh quite contentious that we'll wind up covering. Because that's where a lot of the things you're always talking about with, well, when did the party switch? It's not so much that they switched, it's that they needed to start uh, wooing um, uh, uh, voter turnout for things. Yeah. So we're going to see some of that here real quick. Because um, like you said, LP, um, by the way, this is the, the when Nixon makes the announcement, he goes, and uh, for my VP is going to be Spiro T. Agnew. And uh, the crowd goes crazy, right? They're just going, no, they're not. No one knows who the fuck this guy is. They have no clue <laughs> right. who this is. Quick, um, do, a, do a Google search. Oh, we don't have Google just yet. Do a quick search. Who the hell is this guy? That's why I always say this about us right now. We're not smarter. We're just more informed. Sometimes we know less. We're just very useful of the Google thing here. Right. Uh, a good point in this one. I thought this was very funny. Um, pedestrians in Atlanta were... Um, uh, questioned by uh, journalists on the street doing a little man on the street journalism. Uh, Spiro T. Agnew, your thoughts? Uh, someone goes, oh, that, someone goes, is that a disease? <laughs> right. Someone else goes, no, that's a kind of egg. <laughs> and somebody else goes, oh, Spiro T. Yeah, he's a Greek shipbuilding magnate. Like, yeah. it's a, no, that's, you're talking about Onassis. Onassis, right, not Agnew. <laughs> the, the guy who married Jackie Kennedy after JFK died. <laughs> So, oh my God! Yeah, but again, Wallace was a big influence on that because he was uh, on a platform of uh, pro segregation. We got to keep uh, the races segregated, and then again, there was a lot of popular support to that down south, and uh, even in some factions in the north. So, na, 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 if we can na, 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 if we can run a candidate um, that might pull away from uh, some of that um, grassroots support. Uh, and Agnew might be the guy because he's the law and order guy. Right. That's the key. You can run, You can be a legit law and order guy. And unfortunately, some racists are going to come under your camp with that one. It's like when you go to uh, the big thing I have, one of my favorite bands, Leonard Skinner. They like to fly the Confederate flag up on the stage because they were boys from the South. And there wasn't really a whole lot of that represented here. They will openly say that all their favorite musicians, all their great influences were all the black musicians because they helped create that. You had the mixture of the Delta Blues. You had all this cool stuff. And then, unfortunately... Because of some of the racists who are coming around and being like, yeah, Leonard Skinner, man. Yeah, we just got to get these people out of our country, right? No, dude, we're trying to jam. What the (laughs) hell are you doing here? (laughs) So it gets wild with that stuff. But Agnew campaigns and debates like a crazed dog. He is worth his weight in gold so far. He And by the way, um, he would whip his supporters up into frenzies and also draw the ire of the national liberals as opposed to uh, the, the Maryland liberals who objected to his uh, dismissal of slums. I think he had a, a line that he said, you've seen one slum, you've seen of all. Like that there's no, you know, it, it's just it's just the haves and the have-nots. He doesn't give it any sort of like, well, this particular policy probably victimized this neighborhood. 
He had a deep, deep hatred of communism, which is super, super popular. To, I mean, I don't know why anybody likes communism nowadays here either, too. That's the funniest part. But, um, uh, And at the times, he has extremely coarse language. So he's almost like uh, the way that they would start talking about Trump saying, like, can you believe he said this? Um, yes. Spiro Tiagnu is saying Polak, like, just, you know, like right. oh, you got the Polacks. They're doing this thing over here. And, you know, and they, <laughs> so he's got some stuff here. Now, Nixon doesn't rein him in, though, because Nixon and Agnew, despite both being damn Yankees because of their law and order stance and their hatred of communism, they're polling very well in the southern states. So you want to talk about how you get away from the Dixiecrats and the George Wallace stuff like this? <laughs> Dixiecrats. That's true. That's what they were called, the Dixiecrat. It was down south Democrats. So that's the people when you talk about uh, a party changing side thing, which, again, we always talk about it's such a clunky and, and, and oversimplification of it. Um, but this is where you're going to start to see some of that, where the southern people are like, well, we don't like these up north Republican motherfuckers. But you know what? They're at least doing the law and order thing. And so we can get on board with that. So it's almost like a, a, an appreciation by incrementalism. So um, this will lead to the Nixon victory in the election. And, Dad, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think the craziest few years in political history since the inception of the government. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah it was It was crazy. Getting back to that uh, Republican National Convention though, in 68. Yeah, Nixon, it, it was believed that Nixon had Agnew kind of in the back of his mind all along. But at the convention, again, there's a whole lot of politicking with some of the uh, – Southern uh, South Carolina crowd like Storm Thurmond and that kind of thing. But he finally does announce um, after a big meeting with his various advisors and political and party leaders, Nixon declares Agnew as his choice. 68, if you remember what's going on the other side, the Democratic National Convention is held in Chicago. And that was just a total shit show because that party is so split between the anti-wars and the and the war um, side, if you will. There's um, war protests outside. The Chicago uh, police under Mayor uh, Daley is just beating the shit out of people. There's, I mean, a huge protest. Are there some hard hat they're, riots they're, yeah, going they're, on? Yeah, they're, they're, they're <laughs> forerunner to the hard hat riots for sure. But, I mean, there's... It's just a total shit show. Even within the convention hall, it's a it's a shit show with the various factions having at it with one another. Um, so the Democrats are clearly divided. You got George Wallace running down, you know, down south, pulling in some of the southern votes, and now we've got Nixon Agnew with uh, them running on the uh, law and order kind of a thing. That hey, we got to stop these riots. We got to stop all these protests. We got to we got to bring some law and order back into the, the realm of the good old U.S. of A. So um, that was just another little little tidbit that uh, of the times, uh, you know, you got war protests, you got civil rights protests. It's there's a lot of uh, ill feelings. <laughs> we'll play, be polite and say right. ill feelings on various factions. And you still got your infighting, the regular political infighting of uh, liberals versus conservatives, which, by the way, Nixon in another brilliant move, Never really comes down too hard on uh, too hard on his uh, democratic or liberal counterparts. He lets uh, Spiro do all the fighting for him on that one. Spiro's just Spiro's. He is uh, a bulldog in terms of how he's going about business here. Uh, if you're protesting the war in Vietnam, you are anti-American. Um, uh, we need to work with Nixon. He's the only law and order candidate here. Uh, you're being unpatriotic if you're not supporting this stuff here. And you start seeing this idea that we're going to restore the country to sanity. In this quiet thing called the silent majority, 
which is very real, proved by voter turnout. The silent majority was like, we just want things to quiet down a little bit here. Let's get a little bit of order back and let's get something going in here. New blood. Let's get something cooking. Nixon will use Agnew as his weapon to criticize the liberals and help solidify the already strong base of their ticket in hopes of re-election. Because one thing that the, the, the folks down south don't like, they might not like the damn Yankees and uh, uh, Spiro, this Greek fella and Milhouse up there. They might not really like all them. But you know what? Those guys are trashing the liberals that they can't stand. So that's starting to get a little increased appeal here. Nixon's White House, by the way, one of the strangest and wildest. A little side note, too. We mentioned earlier that Spiro is a big, big fan of the Baltimore Colts. Baltimore Colts will play in Super Bowl three against the New York Jets. Spiro T. Agnew will be in attendance to see it live. What a great moment. You're the vice president of the United States and your team is in the Super Bowl. And Joe Namath fucks your day up. <laughs> Broadway Joe Willie. That's right. He called it too, man. One of the greatest uh, moments in sports history. Um, Nixon's White House, though, is insane. Secret tapings, illegal wars in Cambodia, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> it's all pretty well-traveled territory on this podcast. So we're going to lead right up to 1972, Dad, when uh, George Beale, a U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland, begins investigating this corruption thing that seems to have been following Spiro around all the way from his Baltimore days. Yeah, well, Spiro has been accused of uh, some misdealings, if you will, from very early on, but he would just deny that never happened. That's that's bullshit. That's the media going against me um, and the liberal media going against me. And uh, Nixon kind of stayed out of the fray, but he was defending his vice president, um, saying again that, that it, that's all bullshit. That's just, you know, trumped up charges, if you will, or made up kind of falsehoods. But Nixon was very astute in that he he was the vice president for eight years under Eisenhower. Uh -huh. So he knew he knew the role. So you better pick uh, some guy that's going to be good for you. And just Nixon as also expanded the roles and the powers of the vice president. They had a meeting about that. He goes, it's kind of boring down there. So why don't we get you some more shit to do? Some, to, to a certain word degree. Word too. <laughs> that's right. That's yes. a quote. Nixon, by the way, you hear those tapes in the White House. He is fucking funny. You yeah. cannot take that away from him. He, he's got a way with words. It's yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't... Uh, uh, very unselective with some of the words that he used. Nope. Got a couple of opinions. <laughs> right. He made it, uh, he accented uh, his his opinions with uh, flavorful words, flavorful language. I, I will say, I don't think they ever caught him dropping like something, um, like a, 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 an N-bomb or anything like that. But you can hear it the way he would talk. He would just talk like um, an old school dude. I'd pay tickets. I'd pay tickets to go to a theater to listen to Nixon you, drop it in, you, Bob, just because I think it'd be great. HBO Max has, I think it's called the Nixon Tapes, and they play some of it, and it's a conversation he's having with Kissinger, and he goes, well, you can't trust a Jew. A Jew, he'll find a way to Jew you. That kind of thing. <laughs> it's so... It, it's a, and by the way, that's not even there's no hate in his heart. He's just trying to be like, oh, these are you got to be mindful when you're dealing with these. But nowadays we're just like, come on, dude, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. and, and again, Agnew was uh, not too selective with that kind of thing either. And just as Nixon under Eisenhower was often used as the attack dog, that Ike was going to be the guy that was helping out the GIs uh, during the war. He was the big war hero and everything else. He's trying to put in the uh, the highway system. He's doing a lot of great things for um, uh, the Americas of, of the 1950s. 
And now Nixon is president and he's using Agnew as his attack dog that Nixon doesn't want to come out looking like the bad guy getting in somebody's face. But Agnew was that that guy that, you know, you said it before. He was he's dropping things that weren't exactly politically correct by today's standards, calling somebody a Polak or describing some Japanese American reporter as that fat Jap, that kind of a thing. That you know, by yeah. today's standards, technically shit be- you've said on this podcast, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just nineteen fifty one, folks. He was born in nineteen fifty one. All right, different era. Dumont, New Jersey. Let him have it. <laughs> so. um, we're gonna start to wrap this one up because the 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 big part of the story here, the crux, is what we're leading up to. Um, Agnew had apparently, uh, as it's discovered here, and he wasn't even the target of the investigation when it started by this George Bell, this U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland. He's just investigating corruption in Baltimore County. Now, during this investigation, it becomes quite apparent. First of all, there's a statute of limitations that would make it that you couldn't really prosecute Spiro for some of the shit that he did. Then also there is that thing where can you give a hard time legally to the sitting vice president of the United States of these indictable offenses kind of a thing. So. It gets a little bit wild here, but uh, Agnew is very apparent, has a penchant for accepting bribes and taking kickbacks. So that means like, oh, cool. You guys do this. Then you just throw me 5% for me making it happen, right? Yeah. Tammany Hall shit, right? right? Never went away. Did it, Boss Tweed. Some might call it politics. That's <laughs> um, now, not only did it happen widespread back in the Baltimore days, which also, by the way, his uh, crimes included uh, tax income tax evasion. Um, it may have occurred while he was the governor, and there's also now proof that this could still be going on up into his vice presidency. So that's not good. This is going to lead us to October 10th, 1973. What do you think happens, Dad? 1973. There's an there's an announcement that uh, you know he might be he might be still on the take. I mean, from the stuff that happened with Agnew back in his uh, Maryland days, statutes of limitations would prevent him from being prosecuted against that kind of stuff because enough years have gone by. We're now in Nixon's section, second term. So we're in uh, the 1972 election. He, w- Nixon, Agnew win by a landslide. They take 49 out of the 50 it, states. Oh, it's domination. So yeah. he, he just totally crushed it. And over 60% of the, of the uh, popular vote um, Mondale sitting there like, I could do a little better, I think. <laughs> but there's a uh, U.S. state's attorney, George Beale, who starts to uh, do a little investigation of what might have happened in, in Baltimore County or what was presently going on in Baltimore County. Uh, Agnew uh, had not been the county executive since 66. So statutes of limitations is going to cover um, him or high shield him from him, anybody going against him. But um, there's a little thing that happens here that uh, one of the uh, one of the guys that had a lot of long term uh, dealings with uh, with Maryland is this uh, engineering firm headed by uh, a guy by the name of Letzer, Lester uh, Matz. M-A-T-Z. Never met a Lester I trusted. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so sorry. I just had to go tell a child to shut up. Uh, what? So what did he get caught doing? Uh, uh, well, those corruption charges that have been following him since uh, pretty much the uh, onset of political. The corruption. Yeah, yeah there, there, was, uh, there yeah. was suspicions for a long, long time. But uh, now we're into 1972 and um, a United States attorney starts 
investigating what's presently going on in Maryland in 1972. And he's finding trails that lead back to when um, old Spiro Agnew was involved with uh, Maryland uh, government. And although he'd be covered by uh, um, the number of years that he has since he's served, um, with this one um, contractor um, is given um, immunity, and a lot of his uh, corporate paperwork is uh, is seized, and it goes back and shows that uh, state contracts, while under while Agnew was governor, uh, he was being given a a five percent kickback. And what made matters worse, it's still going on now that he's vice president. Oh, you got to be kidding that was, me! That was the that was the killer. That uh, it, it's still going on. It wasn't just back when he was governor, but it, it just continued on and on. That he never he never turned off. And that, it goes on and on. He never and turned on. that faucet off. It's the that truth. was good. <laughs> it's the truth, and you know what? It's uh, it's pretty crazy here too. So now, on October tenth, nineteen seventy three, facing mounting pressure. And concerned over his family's well-being, both financially and reputation-wise, Spiro T. Agnew will now be the second vice president, the first being John C. Calhoun, but Spiro being the first to... Okay, so John C. Calhoun also resigned as vice president. Our boy Spiro, though, is the first to ever do it in disgrace. Yeah, but and to overshadow this whole thing, I mean, Agnew's got his own difficulties with, um, you know, federal prosecutors coming after him. Uh, Nixon's got his own problems with the whole Watergate thing. That, Watergate's uh, already busted. Uh, just a Water, tiny little thing. Watergate mm-hmm. is already busted. And um, in, uh, Nixon forms this select team called the Plumbers that various uh, leaks of information are going to various newspapers, the Wall Street Journal being one of them. And he forms this little select group called the Plumbers to find out where the leaks are coming from and deal with it. And they also are now spying on the Democratic National uh, uh, Committee to find out some of the inside secrets of the of the Democrats. And that whole thing blows up in his face. And again, Agnew and Nixon are both, when it immediately surfaces, what are you going to do? Deny, deny, deny. Yeah. And, you know, Agnew never really had any kind of inside scoop to Watergate because Nixon always kept him out of the loop. He kept him as a vice president, gave him a couple of jobs to do for domestic uh, domestic policies and uh, um, the governor's committee to find out what the pulse of the governors mm-hmm. were. But uh, he was never really an insider to uh, the Nixon White House. And Nixon is fighting his own fight. And uh, Spiro, Spiro, <laughs> Spiro, Spiro is uh, fighting his fight with what's going on in uh, back in the olden days and continues through through the present days with uh, with some of the kickbacks coming out of uh, Maryland. So. so now the day that he resigns as the vice president in disgrace is also going to be the day that he accepts a plea bargain. He will plead no contest to tax evasion charges in exchange for the dropping of the political corruption charges, which were way more serious. Okay. Agnew will claim in his memoirs that he took the plea because he felt a fair trial would be impossible to come by. He was fined 10 grand, would leave the office here, hope to work as a lawyer again, but he got disbarred as a lawyer for being, quote, 
morally obtuse. So Are you, you want serious? absolutely. How's so now that morally obtuse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now this is my favorite part of the entire story. It's just one quick sentence here. In order to handle his mounting legal bills and other financial issues, when he got out of the office of vice president, he went ahead and he goes, "Hey man, I need to borrow some money from his buddy." Uh, borrows uh, to the tune of, I think, $200,000 just to get himself up and running again from his good buddy, Frank Sinatra. What? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Sinatra from? New Jersey. We tied it in, folks. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Sorry, <laughs> Pat. <laughs> okay. That's it. Yeah, he had a, a friendship with Frank Sinatra to the tune of $200,000 being given to him to get himself back up on his feet. He, by the way, will have a, I think it's a consulting firm he winds up having dealings with uh, this crazy guy over in this country called Iraq named Saddam Hussein that Spira will start having uniform exchange agreements with to help get those uh, uh, good uh, – the Iraqi uh, freedom police, if you will. Yeah, the Iraqi uh, army looking short. Yeah, let's make sure these torturers look good on their way into Goa. Let's, let's give proper <laughs> uniforms to these guys. So, but uh, He also had some uh, dealings with uh, – um, the guy in, in Romania too. So there was some <laughs> some bad people that he's doing dealings with. But hey, you know, you're going to make a buck any way you can, right? It's the truth. Now, I will say this. Nixon will outlast Spiro in the White House, but not for long. Like you said, Dad, the Watergate scandal is continuing to rear its ugly head. And finally, Nixon himself was also forced to resign. Think about that for a second. It happened. There's what the legal, t uh, uh, legal students would call precedence. There's precedence for this, that the vice president of the United States on a ticket, imagine you had, imagine we run uh, KP Kahuna, right? Kahuna's running for president, I'm his VP, and I have to resign in disgrace because of something I said on this podcast. Yeah, he made fun of the Muppet show. That's couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't work with them anymore. Yeah. So now I've resigned in disgrace. The VP, the vice president at number two in power has removed himself from office in disgrace. And then about a couple weeks later, they say, hey, you know, Kahuna said something fucked up on that same episode. <laughs> and now the, the two furry people. Puppet alliance is all over you. <laughs> the two people who have been voted by uh, and won in a landslide, like you said, to lead the country back to are now both resigning in disgrace. So it's pretty wild here. Um, Spiro will decline uh, Nixon's attempts at phone calls and stuff for years afterwards and stay out of politics because he felt absolutely abandoned by it, even though they gave him a little letter saying, uh, you know, your patriotism and your service to this country, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we know that you chose to resign because it was going to cause uh, uh, issues down the road where we, it would be impossible to govern. So you removed yourself. You sacrificed yourself for the greater good of the country. They put a nice little spin on it, but that was a, hey, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. <laughs> so... Spiro was very, very upset by that, felt abandoned after his dismissal in Washington. Now, Sir. at this point, did he like, is, is it fact that he actually was like corrupt, like there was an issue or? It was, um, they, they could not have gotten him because they, they've, there's people that have tried. There's certain things about Spiro's reputation and legacy that are very admirable that historical um, people are coming through and trying to give, well, here's a redeeming quality to him. Yeah. Some people would try to say, well, you know, that money, that's really just a part of the whole political machine. And somebody just wrote down, they did a very thorough, like almost a, a forensic analysis of it. And they said, at no time whatsoever should Spiro T. Agnew have profited off it. At no point was the money in this bank account supposed to be his. This is corruption. Okay. So it was absolutely provable here. Now, this is the craziest part, too. Um, Nixon will die in 1994. 
And uh, although at first Spiro refused to go to the funeral, Spiro will eventually go to honor the wishes of Nixon's daughters. Nixon's daughters asking, it's important to us that you come to our father's funeral. So he will attend that funeral. He is greeted like uh, a, a, a returning you know, friend, if you will, very well received by uh, his uh, former counterparts here. He will also speak at the commemoration of his bust, the little statue that they did of him uh, in D.C., a custom for all vice presidents. And you want to talk about a guy. This is why this is almost why he's admirable. He knows what he did. He took the fall for it. He didn't hide from it. And he goes, this is an honor that I do not deserve. And I am well aware of it. Um, this is more about the office I held rather than the man who held it. So he's saying, this is about the vice presidency, not about Spiro T. Agnew. I held this. This is a historical position. This bust needs to be up there. This is part of our history. It's, I'm a bad guy. I will be remembered as the bad guy. This bust will ensure that I'm remembered as a bad guy, but it has to be remembered. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, now, also, on our uh, as we're landing this plane, folks, um, Agnew himself is going to die September 16th, 1996, of acute leukemia that he was unaware that he had. So he had leukemia and never knew it because he was a very healthy, active guy, played a lot of tennis, you know, plus the Greeks, you know, there's probably a little ouzo flowing around every now and then, you know, <laughs> is that a, is that leukemia or is that a hangover? I can't <laughs> put a little Windex on it. It'll go away. <laughs> So um, he will, you know, remained active into his late years. But 1996, just two years after Nixon dies, now Spiro T. Agnew is dead. And his legacy is very much conflicted and full of what ifs. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of what ifs on this one. But I'll say this, Dad, on your way out as we land this plane, anything you want to say about our boy Spiro? Uh, I think one of his legacies, if you will, is that today's political uh, uh, climate is you're going to do a little more background checks on your on your candidates to make sure that mm -hmm. uh, nothing can be unearthed down the road to uh, paint you in a bad light. Um, one of the things, too, that um, I found interesting is that when negative press came out against Nixon or Agnew, he was quick to say that, well, that's a liberal news media that uh, is painting that in a bad picture, that it, the, the media is so slanted in one direction, in a liberal direction, that anytime anybody speaks against that, they're going to put you down. Um, and there's now a lot of modern day, today's people are saying, well, he was really just a, a pre-Trumper in, in that aspect, that uh, if uh, bad things are being said about you, blame the media that they're not painting the the correct picture. They're they're painting a, a tainted picture. And again, we're not a political show, but uh, I found it interesting that, eh, you know, you, you can have uh, revisionist history writers here, but uh, they're they're kind of touting Spiro, uh, Spiro T. Agnew as uh, um, the forerunner of uh, of uh, Trumpism in that um, you're, you're, the media is what's slanted, that you're not getting the full picture of what's going on here, that there are positive redeeming values to him, but uh, the media is not going to let that come to light. When they want, um, yeah, a, as a body, you know, because there's still true, there's truly great journalism that's still being done out there. And those people are the same way I am as a comic where you're like, oh, uh, uh, I'm a comic. Oh, it's great to meet you. You're a comic too. What do you talk about? Well, I talk about my adoption. I like to work on this. You know, I'm trying to do this in the vein of Colin Quinn, blah, blah, blah. I like to work on that. And this guy's like, I have this bit I do where uh, I take a kazoo and then I uh, shoot a dart out of it that pops a balloon I'm holding in my asshole. 
And it's like, we're not the same. Okay, Steve-O. We're not the same. Exactly. So that's what journalism has become nowadays, where it, it's the integrity of the uh, the industry. People who are doing the real work, um, they're not the people you'd be smirched. Those are the guys doing the, that. That's the gold standard that more people should be held to, and they're not. So I totally agree with you on that one, Dad. Because his legacy is full of what ifs. Had the corruption not played a factor, Agnew could have become, think about this one, think about what happens, Spiriti Agnew, he resigns. What happens a year later, Kahuna? Nixon resigns. Holy shit. Right? So what could have happened? If there was no corruption on Spiriti Agnew, you're talking about a Greek boy as the president of the United States. And he loves it. In because the early the, 70s. Yep, because the White House. Oh, columns, just like Greek. <laughs> Very Greek. <laughs> So, would have been some major uh, White House renovations. Oh my God, we would have had <laughs> would have baklava being served. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. If Sandy Burke's listening, we know it's baklava when the Armenians make it, and that's the version Kahuna likes the best. Yes, so, I do. It's Christmas. <laughs> looking forward to Christmas this year. I'll say this though: um, it, it's he could have been the president. That's absolutely true. He would have been his own leader of the free world. But since upon his resignation, this is wild. This is that 25th Amendment that people keep talking about where they were trying to kick. And again, we're not political. They were talking about trying to kick Trump out of office under the 25th Amendment. There's people talking about it right now with the whole Biden thing where how he's uh, just I mean, let's be honest, he's botching Afghanistan. There's no way around that one. Um, You're talking about uh, removal of office on that one here. Here's the crazy thing. In order to fill the vice presidency under the 25th Amendment, I believe both parties had to uh, in the Senate had to approve of a candidate and it wound up going to the House Minority Leader, a guy by the name of Gerald Ford, OK, out of Michigan, a Republican, the, the Republican Minority Leader. He uh, then he's very saddened, too, because he liked Spear. He goes, this is this is terrible news. I can't believe this is happening. And Gerald Ford, who, by the way, his reputation is the most forthright, honest man in American politics, in the history of politics. Gerald Ford. You cannot say a bad word about that, man. It's impossible. So um, people will try, but here's the thing. He will now become the vice president of the United States. And less than a year after he assumes that office of just being the House minority leader a year before, Spiro's out the door, Gerald Ford comes in, he's the VP now, and Nixon goes, hey, by the way, buddy, I got a thing going on, so uh, can you hold this bag real quick? (laughs) And he takes off in a helicopter, and Gerald Ford goes, am I the fucking president? (laughs) And Less than a year's time. The only man in history to never be elected as president that served. Never to be elected vice president, and then never elected to be president. Right, and uh, what a fucking hero he is. And um, you know what? It's uh, uh, the fact that he held that office with the honor and uh, he really did have to just hold the bag because it got wild here because then you're going to get Carter after that, who is uh, one of the one term presidents. After that, you're going to come in with the Reagan revolution. So the guy who almost was the VP candidate, he wants up becoming the president here, too. It's wild. You're seeing that cataclysm, that lightning bolt of politics popping up right over here. Gerald Ford, all of a sudden, because of the corruption of Spiro T. Agnew and the corruption of Richard Milhouse Nixon, Gerald Ford is now the 38th president of the United States because a guy like Spiro T. Agnew changed history several times. A few for the better, a few for the worse, and a few we haven't quite fully understood yet. We might know more about the 25th Amendment in the next three years. We're not sure. (laughs) We're not sure. But folks, as always, we can only do this show because of you. We love getting to do it. Thank you for your patience with this one. We'll have this episode up as soon as possible for you here. 
love to the editing as we speak <laughs> love to the kahuna as always love to you pops for everything that you do here love to mike and ming more so mike because mike actually came out to my show at the vogel last week and ming's going to be at a con when i'm filming something and you know what we're going to announce on a public episode here i'm going to go ahead and say it directed by christian cordez because we're on the patreon so we can say it yeah um Buddy, you've become such an important part of my life over the last couple of years. You're going to be the director here. There's no one else I can trust with it. Uh, I am recording my first stand-up album. And I'm it, filming it. It will be at Kevin Smith's Modcastle. The first uh, ever comedy show, which it, is a big deal. It's huge. I'm so excited about it. We are one of the first non-Kevin Smith um, uh, 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 derivatives to uh, be showing up over there. This is an independent thing, man. If you guys live local, I know we got some PA people out there. Maybe it's a ride for you. I know we got some Jersey motherfuckers. If you guys want to come out, man, I guarantee you, I've been working on my jokes for 10 years. Dad, they're getting pretty good, right? I ain't getting it. <laughs> You're getting some play. I got a 7 o'clock and a 9 o'clock. You can buy tickets on the Smod Castle website. The hour is called Escape from Jacksonville. I'm doing all the top shit I've written over 10 years. I'm proud of this. I can't wait to share it with when you guys. Is it? September 11th, baby. It's my birthday. Ooh. Right? It's my birthday. A so you prime have to day come for out. September 11th? How many are we going to remember that date? It's uh, at, at 9 11. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to put that in my calendar. I don't yeah. know if I'm going to be able to remember. As my great buddy Dave Durkin said to me, he goes, uh, I told him I'm, an I'm doing an album on September 11th, and he goes, can we just have time to heal, KP? <laughs> do you have to do that? <laughs> Tear that scab so, off again. Uh, but I love you guys. I love the Founding Losers. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, if you are a Founding Loser and you know somebody who also was and maybe they dipped off or something, something came up with money or whatever, let them know about this because we wanted to put this announcement out first. This is your August Patreon, and that was Spiro T. Agnew, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born.